I wonder if you, like me, have ever looked up to someone only to find out there was a skeleton in the cupboard and this so-called friend was not the poor person you thought them to be. We've seen it on the television of brilliant actors whose home life is not like the characters portrayed. But then why should they be? The clue is in the word actor. I can think of two actors with a pedigree of performances, well-respected in the trade, who recently were exposed by their mistakes and are now has-beens. Pop stars do not escape this either. We have had the nephew of the well-known singer of the 70s and 80s who was accused of heinous crimes, heinous acts, actually worshipped with us. Strangely enough, he too was accused of such crimes. Sadly, the church is not innocent here. We hear of Catholic priests devastating the lives of young boys and girls, and ministers having affairs with congregation members. Even this week, there were reports of inappropriate goings-on at Hillsong, Australia. These and many more that you know sadly tell us of our human frailty and weaknesses. In Psalm 142, David recounts upon his life. David, who once knew the comforts of a wealthy home and the questionable delights of Saul's court, he is now living in a cave in South Judea. So this courtier had become a caveman. From royal court to mountain cave. Not what you would expect to read, let alone happen. But this is real life. It's not a Disney movie. In fact, David spent two occasions in caves. And in all of his life, they were the only home he ever possessed. And the only earthly security he enjoyed. In Isaiah 58, verse 8, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So here lies our first lesson. For every unexpected, unwanted, even seemingly meaningless, hurtful and disruptive experience that takes us by surprise comes under that same heading. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. It's just that we're not prepared or equipped to see the point. We blame the devil for our mistakes when it's all part of a plan devised by a higher wisdom than we can know. Job 23 verse 10 says, He knows the way that I take. As for God, his way is perfect, and he makes my way perfect. The second part comes from Psalm 18. Who would have thought that David, who was destined to be king, experienced life on the rock, quite literally? So in his Psalms, as within all scripture, they are written to teach us something. These Psalms were written at a low point in David's life, and they are in the Bible so that we may learn what the real truth is about at our lowest time, and how we are to understand and handle them. Psalm 142 recounts the way and the path 
he has walked. He talks of hidden snares and his failure to find any refuge. It can be seen as David fleeing from the court when his home was kept under surveillance, when Samuel and Jonathan and later Ahimelech offered friendship but no protection, and when Gath turned out to be a further danger. Don't take the words path and way literally, for David would have avoided such main roads knowing Saul's secret police were after him. And so this place, this place of safety, became his prison. As while no one could get in, neither could he get out. Alone and in darkness, you can understand why his spirit was fading. You must question, though, did he make the right choice in running away? Surely it would have been better for him to have faced up to what was before him. Do we run away in times of trouble? Do we face up to our mistakes or circumstances? Whatever happens, like David, we must take refuge in the Lord. He is our rock, our fortress in times of trouble. If you have your Bibles open, look at the tenses in verses 3, 5, and 7. It says, you knew, you are, you will. The psalm is an outpouring. It's all about talking to the Lord in prayer. Looking into this psalm, we see how important it is, the lesson of prayer. Prayer is personal, verbal, urgent, humble, and frank. We see all of that in verses 1 and 2. The NIV Bible says aloud, but the better translation is our version, the NRSV. It says, with my voice. Davis tells us that he has put his prayer into his own words, telling us, the reader, how important it was for him, for God to hear his own voice. You see, the Lord not only wants to hear what we want to say, he loves hearing us saying it. Prayer is our means to counter personal exhaustion of spirit, misunderstanding, opposition, hopelessness, and even loneliness. David recounts all of these in verses 3 to 4. So surely this is an incentive to pray. Prayer, as we know, is a battle of the best of times often as a last resort. Our natural method when under pressure or in trouble is to hide away, stay away, and keep away. I never understand, though, why some Christians, when going through difficult times, stop coming to church or refuse to take communion, citing feeling so unworthy. The truth is, we are all unworthy, but it's all about God's grace. Surely should we not rush to receive God's grace? And prayer is one of his private means of grace. And in verses 3 and 4, we read of David quietly telling the Lord about his situation. He says, when my spirit is faint, you know my way. This sense that David has dug deep as he recounts his sense of danger, his isolation, his lack of support, and shelter. He recounts all this to the Lord. 
reference to his right hand is touching. For where there should be a right-hand man, there is no one. So prayer fills the gap and empty space. Prayer is asking, expressing certain needs. The word cry in verse 5 repeats the verse, the word in verse 1. And so returns to the need to put prayer into words. The for in the second line of verse 6 is important. You see, in verse 2, prayer was based upon the fact of divine grace. But here it is based upon human need. We can pray to the Lord on the grounds that he is gracious, but also on the ground that we are helpless before stronger forces and overpowering circumstances. However, like David, we can anticipate that day that praise will come. We can have faith in a prayer answering God. The prayer will one day turn to praise. Earlier I mentioned about the three affirmations on which the psalm is built. You knew, you are, you will. Briefly, we will have a look at these in turn. The past. The Lord's knowledge of our way is not to be overlooked. As in Psalm 1 verse 6, the NIV translates the verb to know as watches over. His knowledge of us is far more than we can imagine. He has a plan for our lives, and we would be wise to follow his lead. We have all heard people say, where was God when such a tragedy happened? The answer is right here. That's what the Bible tells us. He is a God near to hand, an ever-present God close by in trouble. During our three-month vacation of this building in 2018, our strap line was Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that has not changed. God can be trusted with our tribulations as well as with our joys. He is found in the green pastures as well as in the darkest valley. The paths we travel are the paths he created and ones he watches over. When David said he knew, it was his intention to teach us of a God who can be trusted with and in life's miseries. The present. So David has referred to the past and now he turns to the present in verse 5. But as soon as he says, I have no refuge, he corrects himself by saying, you are my refuge. Even in this situation of despair and fear of being caught, he knew he still had a stronghold and faith in God. Even more is that he says that you are my portion in the land of the living. The term my portion refers to the allocation of the promised land to the incoming tribes of Israel. In Numbers 26, verse 54, it says each inheritance must match the needs of the tribe concerned. Portion means provision. 
provision for the living. So the Lord's presence and blessings of the here and now, as well as the hereafter. The future. I've not mentioned this before, but this is a creed, a belief, a doctrine. And as in all good creeds, David includes a clause about the future. It's a bit confusing in, in, the, in the NIV, as the Hebrew is a noun rather than a verb. The NIV says, because of your goodness to me, whereas the NRSV says, you will deal bountifully. It means act fully or work a complete work for me. In this part of the psalm, David is still praying. The cry is a loud, resonating shout, because that is what the situation requires. It requires urgency, and David boldly asks for it. His strength has gone, and he feels his pursuers have the upper hand. His cave is his prison. He is captive in his shelter, and his prayer to God is about his needs. You see, there is a difference in talking about our needs to ourselves and in sharing them with God. If it is just to ourselves, it's all about self-pity. But in telling God, it brings us one step closer to the situation, to the solution. So in this situation, here in Psalm 142, David speaks out his situation to the Lord. And that is precisely when the prison opens to freedom, when prayer becomes praise, when isolation becomes fellowship of the righteous. Those who, like David, are right with God. And that is when God, in answer to prayer, will put everything to right and making his work complete. I know some of what is going on in your lives, and I will do whatever I can to come alongside you and help you. But in truth, at some point, I will let you down. Not intentionally, but like you, I am human. But I follow a God that I know will never let you down. A God who is always by your side, one to be trusted and worshipped. My prayer is that you might know him as David did. That you will allow him to be your Lord. The one to turn to in times of trouble. But also in times of praise. God is always a prayer away. And as the old song says, take it to the Lord in prayer. He is on call 24-7. Amen. Take a moment to reflect upon the word shared with you this morning.